Well, good evening. My name's Liz, and I am the vicar here. I have to keep on remembering what my title is. It changes periodically. Uh, and it's very good to see you all here this evening on the stamp night, as Amy said. We are following through the events of Jesus' life post-resurrection as we head towards Pentecost. And so the context of the reading tonight is that we're still actually, we sort of, in a tight time lag, we're still quite close to the resurrection. Last week, we talked about Jesus appearing on the road to Emmaus with um, these two disciples. And today, the story is we're picking up possibly of the next evening, possibly the next day. But please stand for the reading of the gospel. This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to John. Reading from John chapter 20. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples said, told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise you, Lord Christ. Please have a seat. I don't know... Uh, if any of you have ever played the game Two Truths and a Lie, uh, where you have to sit down and you're telling stories and you get somebody to tell you three stories about their lives, and two of them are true and one of them is fake, and you have to kind of work out which is the fake story that they're telling you right now. And so you have to sit there and kind of go, did Beth really put frogs in the toilet? Uh, did Jeff really set fire to the school? You know, all these kind of stories which you begin to hear and you kind of wonder which one could be true. What capacity do your friends have for good or mischief? And you wonder, doubting about your friends and the lives that they have led until they came at the, you met them. So when do we start to doubt? Well, I did some time researching this week and looking up how it is that we come to, to doubt. And it's fascinating how very quickly and strongly doubt enters into a child's psychosocial world. There's something called Erickson's Stages of Development, and there's, there's, he has eight stages. And 
Between 18 months and three years, a little person begins to move in establishing their autonomy. Anybody who has come near a toddler is well aware of the fact that they're keen on establishing their autonomy. But the counter to this is that they begin to also experience shame and doubt. Is the world as safe as I think it is? What is my place in it? Those first shadows begin to arise as they, not, they realize that everything is not quite as straightforward as they originally began to think. Doubt is defined as a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. And then in the next stage, when they get to be kind of like preschoolers, they begin to assert their power and control with directive play and social interactions. And again, children at this stage, begin, if they're successful, begin to feel kind of capable and start to lead others. But now the ability to doubt themselves, the self-doubt, begins to grow even more strongly. No matter who you are as a child, if whatever kind of home you come from, at some point, things will begin to happen to you where you begin to doubt the safety and security of your world. You begin to doubt that everything is quite the way you thought it was. Perhaps you uncover a lie or some misinformation. Now, be aware that doubt is not always bad. Much of the doubt that we experience throughout our lives, and I'll come back to this again, is kind of helpful doubt. And for children, we want them to establish some parameters for doubt. We want them to question, is this person safe? Can I touch that fire? It can be a warning. Doubt can be a good alert sign that something is not quite right. Teens, of course, we all know teens, and there are some teens here who will immediately feel uncomfortable because I'm, they're nervous about what I might do. They doubt that I might pick on them. I'm not going to, I promise you. But teens, it gets even more severe, this feeling of, am I competent? Can I believe in myself? And depending on the kind of encouragement that they get from their friends, their teachers, their peers, will begin to question whether their doubts are going to be successful. And so they keep working out this balance between doubt and self-belief. All of you, all of you, even as adults, the ones amongst us who are adults, who go to work, you've experienced this. Imposter syndrome, who hasn't felt it? Actually, I'll tell a story in our bishop now. I hope he doesn't listen to this. But um, uh, when uh, I was getting ordained, and I hadn't actually realized that I had to wear a collar the night I got ordained. But, so you feel really weird. You put it on. And you aren't even, you know, the words haven't been said, all the rest of it. And I, the bishop arrived before him and I said, Bishop, I just, he said, how are you feeling? And I said, I feel terrible. And he said, oh, you're feeling imposter syndrome. Don't worry, I get it all the time. <laughs> and you kind of go, no, the bishop can't feel like that. We all have it. We just wonder, are we up to the things that we're on, being set, the tasks we're being given? We have doubts about ourselves. We have doubts about other people. Will our bosses recognize us? Will they, oh, can we trust authority? In our relationships, am I lovable enough? Are they lovable enough? Will your partner be faithful? Doubts about compatibility. And so often we have our doubts about faith. Is the Bible reliable? What about unanswered prayer? How come there is so much pain in the world? Why do bad things happen to good people? Is this really good news? Pilate's question, what is truth? Why is the world unfair? 
And so often, anxiety quickly follows our doubt. As soon as you lose your conviction about something, anxiety is often quick on its heels. And in our gospel reading tonight, Thomas was full of doubt. And really, it's not surprising. Poor Thomas, he had watched his beloved, beloved master die on a cross. He had probably gone to the tomb and seen him buried. And in all his life experience, dead people stayed dead. Tombs stayed sealed. All this rumor of angels, empty tombs, a stranger on the road to Emmaus, walking through walls. I mean, everybody was saying they'd seen him alive. Really? Thomas's doubt is not remotely surprising to me. But what I like is some of his responses to the doubt that he's feeling. One of the first things he does, which I think is really smart, is he takes it into community. Thomas is not holed up alone somewhere. He hasn't decided to go and sit in his little room and lock the door and not speak to anyone again. He hasn't run away. He hasn't gone anywhere else. He's gone to be with his friends. And he's telling them about it. He's telling them what he's feeling. He's completely transparent about what he needs. He wants to touch. He doesn't just want to see. He wants to stick his hand in the side. And this painting, Glory, it's so vivid, isn't it? You kind of go, oh, really? And then Jesus arrives. And what I love about this encounter as well is that Jesus doesn't treat Thomas's doubt lightly. He doesn't laugh at him. He doesn't scoff and say, look, you can just see me. You can talk. You don't need to stick your hand anywhere. He says, come on, touch me. Put your hands in my fingers, in my my hands, and in my side. And Jesus offers the disciples a whole range of tools for them to deal with their doubt. First of all, he turns up where they are. He comes right to be in the midst of them. Critically, he then speaks the word peace. He knows that our doubt ratchets up really fast when that anxiety starts kicking in as well. And he speaks peace to quell their anxiety. And he then breathes on them the gift of the Holy Spirit. This gift which we now are able to accept now as the the voice of God's reason that will speak into us to give us guidance. And then he does offer the opportunity to touch. He literally does say, touch me. So what about us? What do we deal with our doubt, especially our doubt about Jesus? I would say, first of all, recognize that doubt is just fine. Every single one of us has doubt from time to time, both about ourselves, about other people, and about God. But doubt offers us a wonderful opportunity, because at any point, you're always on some sort of spectrum between disbelief and total belief on anything. And there are lots of things you land up on total belief about, and there's some things you land up on total disbelief about. I don't think Jeff set fire to his school. I am totally in disbelief about that. I think. But doubt gives us an opportunity. Doubt says you can be in this middle place and you can wrestle with it. You can get to one or the others of these extremes. And as Jesus breathes on you and you engage with your doubt, the gift of the Holy Spirit gives you space to grow into it. I love the C.S. Lewis quote. He says, Now that I'm a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. They're both possible. We can look at things in so many different ways. 
So what are you going to do when you have a moment of doubt? Well, first of all, I would take encouragement from the first thing that Jesus does, which he speaks peace. And he speaks it through breathing the Holy Spirit over his disciples. This is our most powerful tool, is turning to God and saying, will you be in me? Will you help me in this period of doubt? Will you teach me? Will you lead me? Will you guide me? Will you speak to me? Will you help me to move towards faith? Don't be surprised when you're in a season of doubt. Don't be surprised by it at all. It's perfectly normal and natural. But the thing that Thomas did, I would encourage you to do. Embed in community. We're not all doubting the same thing at the same time. So it's a very good thing to be in community. One of the images which came to mind as I was thinking about this was um, of a tent. And how, you know, a tent might have 20 tent pegs holding it down. Actually, maybe six, I don't know. But um, old-fashioned tents, probably 20. And it's almost like when we doubt, one or two of the tent pegs come a little bit loose. One of the good things about being in community and about working through doubt together is that people can help you to push those tent pegs back in so that your tent will be just fine when the storm comes. It's one of the reasons we encourage people to be in small groups. And if you're not in one yet, get in one. Sign up for one. There are four. They're great places to be in community, to go and be transparent and say, like Thomas, I just am doubting this at the moment. Can you help me to work through this for this season of time? Ask, wrestle, debate, pray. And that's another good thing to do, is to just maintain healthy habits. Sometimes being in a doubting place can feel like a desert, which is just going to go on and on forever. The, you know, the book, The Dark Night of the Soul, there are periods of doubt which just seem heavy. But in those periods... If we can keep habits, if we read our Bibles regardless day by day, if we pray regardless day by day, those are also good ways of keeping your tent pegs firmly stuck in. Because steadily applying yourself to a diet of truth is both reassuring and instructive. I used to say to my kids, just because you think it, it doesn't make it true. But it's also if you, just because you feel it, it doesn't make it true. Both these things, you have to work sometimes at truth. Having a prayer diary can be helpful. Writing down, this is the prayer I prayed. I prayed it every day for three years. And at last it was answered. Go back and look at where God has answered prayers, where he has taken you from doubt to faith in the past. Sometimes we also just have to wait. Just wait. But try not to wallow in it. Another good thing to do with doubt is just to keep an outward focus, to keep looking at other people, to see where you can serve, to get involved in things, to just kind of wait it out. Sometimes waiting it out is enough for us simply to begin to realize, oh, I didn't, that's okay. I've come to this place of remembering what truth is or finding what truth is. And ask God to encourage you in the waiting there's a lovely verse in Jude, which it says, have mercy on those who doubt. I encourage you, as a community, can we have mercy on those who doubt in their seasons of doubting? Can we be there for each other when they are in a phase of doubt? Helping, helping people. And what we have here is our closest thing to putting a hand in Jesus' side. 
week by week we come and have tangible bread, tangible wine. We eat and drink and the bread and wine go into us. They go into our very cells and give us life. This is a place where I come back to whenever I'm doubting. I think about the joy, the gift of the bread and the wine. The fact that somehow I touch Jesus as I take in the bread and the wine. So I would encourage you as you come tonight and as you come week by week, if you're taking communion, eat it with faith. Eat it and say, Lord, as I eat this, will you grow and develop my faith in you? Will you take me into stronger places of belief? And if you're not yet baptized and not yet taking communion, oh, please come and tell me. I would love to help you on that journey as well. And so what I would say to you all tonight is God loves you. He loves us collectively and individually. So hold fast. Don't let your tent blow away. There can be something really exhilarating, a good storm, when your tent is firmly secure. Caroline read for us uh, from the prophet Jeremiah. And there's a wonderful promise in that passage. And I'm going to read it to you again. And perhaps you could just take a moment to close your eyes, put your hands open perhaps, and just ask God, put in front of him any place of doubt where you have at the moment. And maybe you'll deal with him about that for the next minute or so. But I'm going to read you a promise that God has made to us, a promise, an eternal promise. And it's something which we can believe and have faith for. This is what he says. God says, I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God. I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their heart that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good, and I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. Heavenly Father, I thank you for that promise. I thank you for that promise that you are with us. I thank you for the way, Jesus, you breathed on your disciples, and we invite you now to breathe afresh on us. Holy Spirit, will you come and be with us and in us, Will you deal with our doubts? Will you help us to move from places of disbelief to, dis to belief? Will you help us to wrestle through the things which are complicated or that we just don't get, that we don't understand? Will you be our teacher, our guide, our comforter? Thank you that you never leave us alone, but that you have promised to be with us forever. Amen.